Well, good morning. It is uh, good to see you guys. We are going to begin this morning a little bit differently. We're going to begin by uh, having a chance just to pray over those who are heading overseas this summer. And so if you are heading overseas this summer to one of our missions locations with our, one of our teams in East Asia to trade winds or to Greece, will you guys come up, up on stage? We're going to pray over you guys. I want you guys usher your ways, uh, uh, selves on up here. Uh, as you guys are coming up, let me just remind us all, we, we talked last week that, uh, and as we'll continue to talk this week, uh, a little bit about finances and about God's purpose for our money. Uh, a large part of what we have been given, a large part of the reason why God has blessed us with resources is so that we can honor him with our finances. And, and for uh, 50 of the students, will be taken off on these three teams this summer, uh, some of which are at Anderson, some of which are here with us this morning at Southwood. They are all raising their support. So if you guys would have a desire, as we talked last week, to partner with them, not just to pray for them, but to give to them financially. Uh, Come grab them after the service. Come talk to me. We'd love to help you guys get connected so as to be able to give to them. But we want to pray for them this morning to recognize them for their willingness to go and, and to honor them and to pray for them as they take off. So let me pray for us. Father God, we give you great thanks uh, that as a church uh, and as believers in Jesus Christ that you've given us the greatest entrustment of anything that we could ever have, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news that Jesus has died and been resurrected and that he forgives sins and that he provides eternal life. Father, I thank you for these individuals and their willingness to go and to serve and to proclaim that message this summer. Thank you that they've been willing to take five to six weeks of their summer and to entrust it to you that you would do with them and with their lives however you see fit. Father, I pray for these individuals, Lord, and for these teams, Lord. I pray that you would do something in their lives this summer that would blow them away. I pray that you would expand their vision of the world. I pray that you would expand their vision of you, and that you would allow them to see how large you are and on what a grand scale that you're working and that you're moving in the world. Father, I pray for these three teams in particular, Lord. I pray that you would grant them great community. I pray you would grant them great chemistry. Lord, I pray that they would encourage and sharpen one another, Lord. Pray for the leaders of these three teams as well, Lord. I pray that you'd use them mightily as they direct and as they lead and as they shepherd. Pray that you, for whether they're leaders or whether all these individuals, Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak and answer and provide for them in the midst of their inadequacies and in the midst of their fears. I pray that you would show them your faithfulness, your goodness, and your power in a way as they open themselves up and as they entrust and depend on you, Lord. Pray also just for those that they'll have a chance to talk with, uh, many who have never heard the gospel before many who have no relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, and I pray that you would grant them favor. I pray that they would be received well by the cultures and the communities that they'd step into. I pray for the lives of the students that they'll interact with, Lord. I pray that you would move in power, that you would allow your message and your gospel to go out in strength and in clarity, Lord, and I pray that you would produce fruit from it, Lord. I pray that you would draw others to know you maybe for the very first time ever and that their opportunity here as they go for simply five weeks so that they may interact with some that may take the gospel from these countries to the rest of the nations, Lord. I pray that you would produce a fruit that would be uh, something that we may not even see in one summer, but something uh, even in days that we will stand in heaven and will recount your work, Lord, that we'll see all that you've accomplished even from this one simple summer trip. Pray that you would do something beyond our imaginations and that you would provide for this team, that you'd raise their support, that you'd answer their fears, and that you would use them marvelously for your glory and for your kingdom's sake, Lord. Father, we ask for these things through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. You guys, thanks. I know a lot of you guys, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. I know a lot of you guys are also going to be in different parts of the world, different trips this summer. I was even talking to a guy this morning who is going to be in Lebanon. And we want you guys to know uh, whether you're on one of our trips or not, or if you're on another trip, we're going to be praying for you guys this summer, excited for what the Lord is going to do with you guys, whether you're on a mission trip, whether you're at camp, or whether you are in an internship this summer, or whether you are suffering in summer school. We're praying for you guys, all right? Uh, but uh, we're going to be back in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. So if you guys will turn to Philippians 4, we're going to finish our little mini series on Monday. 
money this morning, um, and we're also going to finish uh, our series of the book of Philippians that we've been in for the entirety of the spring. Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 10 to 23 is where we'll be again this morning. As you guys turn there, one little other, uh, one element of housekeeping. Some of you guys uh, may remember at the beginning of the semester, uh, we challenged you guys to potentially memorize the book of Philippians. Uh, if you guys took that challenge, if you guys have had a chance to memorize Philippians, I want to let you guys know. Talk to me today, email me tomorrow. Uh, we're going to be doing a dinner to honor you guys and reward you guys tomorrow, or actually Tuesday night at our house. So uh, a lot of you guys have seen my wife, Marcy. She is scheduled for a C-section May 1st. So we could be having this boy any day. It could happen this morning. Ha! All right. Um, wouldn't that be something? All right. So, uh, so we need to do that dinner uh, quickly. And so we want to honor you guys. We want to reward you guys. We'd love for y'all to be a part of that. So if you have memorized the book of Philippians or if you're right on the precipice of being done, talk to me today, email me tomorrow uh, so that we can get you guys a part of that dinner on Tuesday night at our house. We'd love to have host you. We'd love to have a night with you guys. So talk to me today if that's you. Uh, Philippians chapter four, verses 10 to 23. Paul writes, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God forever be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We looked at this passage last week and we'll wrap it up this morning and we'll wrap up the book as well. But we saw last week as we talked about the topic of money or finances, we said last week that how you view your money and how you handle it really reflects on your adoration of God and worship. It reflects on your appreciation of those who lead you in worship. And lastly, we said it reflects on your partnership in the gospel to see worship established where it does not yet currently exist. That your finances really are, and your stuff and your possessions are merely an asset in worship. Uh, it's not just an asset in worship. Sometimes it actually reflects and, and highlights and demonstrates exactly what you worship. Especially if sometimes it's not meant and it's not utilized in worship of God himself. Sometimes it's meant and le- leads us off into idolatry, into the worship of other things. What we're going to see this morning really is, as we look at this topic of giving and finances, I want to show you guys three basic obstacles that we face in in, in giving sacrificially, giving cheerfully, and giving well in faith. Three basic obstacles that if we look at these and address these are, I think, at the core really of what prevents us in giving well, giving cheerfully, and giving sacrificially, all right? Uh, Philippians chapter four, as it really starts off, I want you guys basically to see that kind of the first obstacle I think we face is that, in a sense, uh, in order for us to give well and sacrificially and cheerfully, you and I have to be content with God's provision in the present. If you and I are not content with what God has provided in our lives in the present, we will not give as we've been called to give. The issue of contentment is one that Paul is going to bring up at the beginning of this section, this passage, and it is an, is an issue and, and I think a topic that really drives and is at the very foundation of much of our experience on a daily basis. To what degree are you and I content with what God has provided us today? And really, as we look at the idea of contentment, I think what you're going to see as this passage opens is that Paul's primary concern is not our possession of money. I don't think Paul is primarily concerned with whether you have little or whether you have much. 
Possession of money and whether you have a lot does not make you more spiritual, does not make you more blessed. The, the absence of money does not make you either more spiritual as well. Uh, it's been said in a lot of uh, uh, criminal proceedings with regarding stuff and possession that possession is nine-tenths of the law, all right? That really for our legal system, really what they're most concerned with is possession. If you possess it, then you have proof in the court of public opinion, all right? I think as Paul will bring up and, and guide us on this discussion of finances and stuff and possessions, that really for him, possession of things is not his primary concern. Notice what he says as this passage opens up. Verse 10, he says to them, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Paul recognized it in the Philippians' uh, financial history, so to speak. If you look at their portfolio, he recognized clearly and evidently that they had encountered some difficulties in the past that prevented them from giving as they desired. Paul never questioned their desire to give. He rightly recognized that in the midst of some things that are difficult, sometimes we don't have the, the same capacity to give as we do in other times in our life. Paul was not primarily concerned with whether they possessed goods or not. In fact, he goes on even of his own experience, and he says in verse 11, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I think for so many of us, we look at those who have much and we judge. And for many of us, I think we also look at those who have very little and we judge. I think for many of us, as we look at finances and we look at our world that's around us and we look at people in our lives, we judge based on possession. We judge them if they have a lot and we judge them if they have little. Obviously, different reasons that for our judgment. For, for many of us, really, our primary concern is possession. That's what we look at. I think as Paul will open this section, really, Paul is so little concerned with whether you possess much or whether you possess little. In fact, Paul is going to make the basic point that you can be incredibly spiritually mature and be rich. And you can be incredibly spiritually mature and have little. In fact, for Paul, he could walk with Jesus Christ in abundance or in little. For Paul, possession was not nine-tenths of his concern. (laughs) What was Paul primarily concerned with, all right? I don't think Paul's primary lens was looking at possession. I think his primary concern really was the pursuit of money. What Paul was primarily concerned with and what Paul will primarily speak to is not whether you have little or whether you have much. Because Paul will say whether he had little or he had much, he could live and walk with Jesus Christ quite well. Each taught him something. Each changed and transformed him to know Jesus Christ more and to walk with Jesus Christ. I think for so many of us, we get hung up on the possession thing. And Paul is going to move our focus not from possessions, but to the pursuit of possessions and money. Paul's concern really is in our motivations and what we are pursuing. Notice really elsewhere in 1 Timothy chapter 6, notice what Paul says, speaking of our pursuit of money. He says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we've brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is a really powerful section on the topic of finances and money. We're going to be in this section quite a bit this morning. But notice what Paul will say. And notice the terminology that he uses. I underlined it for you guys this morning. Godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Fascinating. He's going to use, in a sense, financial terminology. He's going to say that, in a sense, godliness, walking with Jesus Christ, accompanied with contentment, leads to great gain. That it is actually profitable. It is actually economically wise to walk and to experience contentment. Contentment really is the question Paul wants to bring to our attention. Ultimately, in what God has provided you, are you content with it? In what you are pursuing, are you pursuing something at times even beyond what God would hand over to you? How concerned with what you are pursuing are you in terms of money and possessions? 
I think it's fascinating, as Paul will say here, that really godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. But I want you guys to notice to flip around what he says in verses 9 and 10, and it's going to get a lot more powerful. He says, but those who want to get rich, uh, and let me kind of buttress this and just say, obviously money is an asset in life. It is an asset in worship. It is an asset in life. Money is not necessarily bad, all right? So I'm trying to get to the, a point across that possession of money is not necessarily bad. It is an asset. It's how a man provides for his family. It's how you and I provide to a church and we worship. Money is not bad. The question is, how is it used and how is it pursued? And so Paul's concern really is for those that would pursue money in such a way that they've not yet pursued it with contentment. And the result of their pursuit is such that there's never going to be enough. That if you aren't content with what God has provided as you pursue wealth and finances, whether it be the summer or whether it be after graduation, if you are not content and cannot walk in contentment, then your pursuit will be something that leads to great pains. Notice what he says in verses 9 and 10. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For those who want to get rich and it's never enough, They just want more and more and more. And they don't experience contentment. The result of it is that they are, in a sense, trapped and caught by a snare in which they're going to experience ruin and destruction. Notice how he goes on in verse 10. He says, for the love of money, again, that which is a pursuit, which is the greatest passion in our lives, if what we love most is money, then notice what happens. It is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Notice again the connection in verse 10 between our faith and our finances trying to make the point to you guys uh, yesterday that really, uh, in a sense, the secular world of finance and the sacred world of worship, they are not distinct from one another. They are very much related. You cannot separate your faith from your pocketbook. They go hand in hand. All right. So Paul is going to say, if you walk in terms of your pursuit of money without contentment, the result is going to be such that you will experience all kinds of ruin, spiritual ruin and financial ruin. In fact, that really is the tale of our culture today. Uh, Ralph Winter, speaking much as a uh, contemporary prophet today, looking at our society and our culture, notice what he says of America today. America today is a save-yourself society if there ever was one. But does it really work? Uh, The undeveloped societies suffer from one set of diseases, tuberculosis, malnutrition, pneumonia, parasites, typhoid, cholera, typhus, etc. Affluent America has virtually invented a whole new set of diseases. Obesity, arteriosclerosis, heart disease, stroke, lung cancer, venereal disease, cirrhosis of the liver, drug addiction, alcoholism, divorce, battered children, suicide, murder. Essentially what Winner is saying is that these are all new diseases that affluence without contentment creates. This is what's happening in our culture. A culture that has much, but it is never enough and is always driven for more and more and more. This is where discontentment takes you and I. This is where it's taking us as a culture. So take your choice. Labor-saving machines have turned out to be body-killing devices. Our affluence has allowed both mobility and isolation of the nuclear family, and as a result, our divorce courts, courts, our prisons, and our mental institutions are flooded. And saving ourselves, we have nearly lost ourselves. This is what Ralph Winter is saying, is looking at our contemporary culture as example and as an illustration for what Paul is saying in 1 Timothy chapter 6. When you and I love money in such a way that it is first in our lives and in such a way that it is never going to be enough, it never will satisfy, and the result of it will be a kind of ruin that is unparalleled. The result of a pursuit of money without contentment is a result, is a pursuit that will never satisfy us. It will never satisfy us. Which is why, really, as you look at our current culture today, debt is fascinating. 
statistics vary, but a few of the things I found this week showing, in a sense, uh, our uh, nation's uh, inability to be satisfied and our continual pursuit to buy more and more, even beyond what we actually can pay for, shows today debt in the United States of America is up to $2.4 trillion in terms of consumer debt. I'm not even talking about governmental or national, just simply individual consumer debt up to $2.4 trillion. In terms of consumer credit card debt, it's up to about 6500 per cardholder. All right? Well, you and I live in a culture today that wants way more than we can actually pay for. We are a culture that is riddled by discontentment, which is why we put things on credit cards, which is why we purchase before we can actually pay for it. In fact, this is to show even further that the average cardholder is 60 days late on his payment. Let me, guys, I mean, encourage you guys, many of y'all already have credit cards. I think uh, we use them in our own family, all right? They're incredibly convenient, all right? But they are also incredibly dangerous. <laughs> they allow you to glut your insatiable appetite for discontentment and materialism without actually having to be on the hook for it immediately, all right? You can go out and get whatever you want and pay the piper later, which is why our culture that's so discontent is in serious trouble, trouble in terms of consumer debt. In fact, the average cardholder has four cards because one card and its credit limit isn't enough. <laughs> so the average, consumer, the average cardholder has four credit cards in our nation today. That is astonishing, all right? And what I want to show you guys culturally speaking today in the state of America is that you and I live in a culture that is riddled with discontentment. You and I live in a culture in terms of marketing that is always hitting right at a desire and right at a, a voice that's saying, hey, you need more. You need the latest. You need the greatest. You need something bigger and better and faster, right? That's how you and I live, right? Uh, one of my favorite uh, comedians, Jerry Seinfeld, has a whole bit about how there's a life cycle of our possessions, right? You, buy a, you and I buy something new. It replaces the old, but the old then moves to the closet because we're not really ready to throw it away. And then we buy something later and greater than that. And then the, what was in the closet moves to the garage. And then it eventually goes from the garage to the trash can, right? Everything's just in a period of transition in which everything is moving toward the trash cycle, all right? That's where all of our possessions are like. That's what's happening to everything that you and I purchase because we have a constant desire for something latest, greatest, fastest, and newest. We live in that kind of culture. In fact, it's not just that we're racking up all kinds of consumer debt, but ultimately you and I are in a cycle in which it's a cycle that never satisfied. So it's not just that we're racking up all kinds of consumer debt, but we and I, you and I live in a culture today that is racking up and experiencing a spiraling decline in all kinds of dissatisfaction. You and I are purchasing more and more because we think it will satisfy, but the reality is you and I are bought into a myth. It's part of the trap that Paul will speak of in First Timothy 6. It's part of the snare materialism, possessions, and money are but an asset in life, but they are never meant to satisfy in and of themselves. So it's not just that we're in a spiraling cycle and decline in debt, but you and I are in a spiraling cycle and decline in satisfaction. We are discontent and we are dissatisfied, and the more we purchase makes us only more discontent. It only feeds that hunger. And the result, and what Paul will kind of bounce us back to, is the reality is that the secret is all about Jesus. Your possessions are an asset to worship Jesus, and really, your greatest satisfaction is only going to be found in Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul will say back in verse 10. Notice how he starts this section off. But I've rejoiced in the Lord greatly. I think it's fascinating as you look at this passage as it begins that as Paul is writing to the Philippians to thank them for a gift, that notice what Paul's first comment is. In the reception of the gift, he's writing to thank the Philippians, but primarily, who is he thanking? Jesus Christ. He realizes that all possessions are, and good gifts are from Christ. And so in the reception of the gift, what he's most thankful for is not the gift, but it's Jesus. 
Ultimately, his, uh, in a sense, his lens on life, his lens on the possessions is that they are all out of the hand of Jesus Christ. And so in the, in the reception of them, it is but an opportunity to be thankful and to worship Jesus Christ. In fact, he's going to go on in verse 13 and notice what he says. In the midst of having much and having little, he says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, how many times have we quoted verse 13 in whatever context and scenario of life you have, right? You're in the midst of difficulty. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me, all right? I don't think that's inappropriate. I think that's a principle that's true in many arenas. But notice the particular context that Paul is speaking here in Philippians chapter 4. It's not just relevant to our uh, contemporary day and culture, but I think it is absolutely essential that you and I not miss that what Paul is speaking of in Philippians 4 in terms of his dependency on Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ to strengthen him is in the midst of having little or having much. I don't know what kind of family background you grew up in. I don't know what the Lord is going to have for you as you graduate and as you step into a job. I had a seminary professor who told me the reason why God called me into seminary is he couldn't trust me with money, which is just horribly encouraging, right? Um, but yeah, I don't know as you graduate whether the Lord will entrust you with much or whether he will entrust you with little. But whether you are entrusted with much or you are entrusted with little, the point of it is that you would know Jesus Christ in much or you would know him in little. That in much you would be transformed into his image or in little that you would be transformed into his image. It is all about Jesus Christ. And the challenge for us, though, is that you and I live in a day and time that is so riddled with discontentment and we're constantly pushed to want something more. The question I have for you this morning, is Jesus enough? If you have much, is Jesus still enough for you or is he but just a side entree? If you have little, is Jesus enough for you even in your little or is Jesus not enough for you? I think that's a great question that our culture asks us today as we're challenged on this issue of contentment. Is Jesus enough? Because your response to possessions and money is not primarily all about materialism and greed. It's primarily about something far deeper and far more personal. It's about your contentment with Jesus Christ personally. Your response to stuff and to money is really a response to the provider in your life, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, this past week, Marcy took our little girl, two and a half year old girl, Caroline, to a toy store. Uh, I was going to get her a series of toys as we await the arrival of this baby boy. We want to have a few new exciting things to help her with the transition when she's not the number one concern in our life. All right, so we want to kind of smooth this thing over for her. So we got some new toys, some things we're kind of planning on uh, in the next in the ensuing weeks. All right, and so interesting thing uh, ensued though at the toy store. All right, Caroline was just loving it, digging it, having a great time. Uh, Marcy was incredibly gracious, bought three new exciting, awesome new toys for her. All right. And on the walk toward the register to check out, Caroline spotted something else. Uh, something shiny, something new, something large and in charge, something that she could not live without. So uh, two and a half year old whose uh, linguistic skills are increasing and her negotiation skills are really increasing, began to negotiate with Marcy, all right, crying and begging that she could have this fourth toy, all right, because the three were not enough. She had to have this, all right. And so what ended up happening in that toy store was incredibly embarrassing because she threw the, the biggest tantrum tantrum that you can imagine, all right? As, as if her life was going to be over because she couldn't have the fourth toy, all right? The issue with discontentment starts incredibly early in our lives, doesn't it, right? Even more so, it's horribly embarrassing as a parent uh, because your kid is acting out, but even more so, as she acts out and as she's frustrated with what Marcy is providing, her frustration is making a statement, not just about her own issue with discontentment, but it's making a statement particularly about her parents who are her provider, right? Why is it so embarrassing for her to act out in that kind of moment? Because ultimately her frustration is with Marcy primarily because Marcy is not providing enough, right? We're bad parents, right? That's what seems so horribly embarrassing, right? 
But it's the same for you and I, really, as we look at this issue. It's not about just stuff. It's not about needing more toys, needing a new iPad, needing the latest version of something. The question really primarily is, how content with Jesus Christ and what he's provided in your life are you? The battle with discontentment is primarily a battle with whether you think Jesus is enough for you or not, and whether you need something more than just Jesus. Ultimately, as Caroline cries out, the question is, she doesn't think of what we're providing as enough. And so her crying out is an affront to us as the provider in our life. When you and I cry out in materialism and greed, it is an affront to Jesus Christ, who is the provider in your life. And so really, I think the first thing I want you guys to see this morning is that our ability to give, as God would call us to, is primarily has to overcome the issue of discontentment in our life. If you are content with what God has provided in your life, then you're going to hold it loosely and be able to turn around and open it and to give it back. If you are discontent with what he's provided in your life right now, you are not going to be able to give as you are called to give. The issue of contentment is crucial. It's crucial for a two and a half year old and it's crucial for you and I and it never gets easier the more you get. Uh, The challenge is this is a lifelong challenge, a challenge that you are making decisions on right now as to how you're going to live it out. What is going to be enough for you? As your paycheck increases or as you get one finally and then as you get raises, how much is enough? Will you continue to raise your standard of living or will you continue to lead me the, the biggest, the latest, the greatest? Or can you live a life of simplicity? Can you lead a life of contentment that says, you know, the good gifts you provided, thank you, Lord. And I will maintain a level that is below what I make so that I can give out of that. Question is, how content can you live? How simple can you live? And, and how much do you adore and do you trust Jesus and how he's provided in your life? Contentment really is the number one obstacle that you and I have to overcome if we're going to really give as God would call us to give. Contentment in God's present provision really is the first obstacle. The second obstacle is this. Ultimately, that you and I would have confidence in his future provision. If you and I are content in his present provision, we can give as we're called to give. And if you and I are confident in his future provision, you and I can give as we're called to give. In order to give, you and I have to not just be content in the present with what he's provided, but we also have to be confident in what he will provide us in the future. In fact, notice, back to verse 17, notice what uh, Paul will say as he tries to make the point to us that God is our provider. Verse, verse 19, Paul will write, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul wants to remind them and to thank them for their gift and to remind them as they continue forward that ultimately God is their provider. And as they've given out of what God has provided them and as they still have needs, God will provide for those needs. In fact, he's going to say the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul will speak to those who are rich and will say, God who rich supplies us with all things to enjoy. In the midst of giving, it's not just that we have to be content with what he's provided us today. We have to be confident that he'll provide for us tomorrow. Ultimately, our confidence in his ability to provide in the future is really determinative as to whether we will give as we're called to give. As you kind of look at this, I think it's not just that God is our provider, but if God is our provider, then our confidence in his ability to provide is, is set on a foundation of our belief that he is the owner of all things. Notice what Psalm 50 will say. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. Our confidence in his ability to provide in our lives rests on a belief that he's the owner of all things. Everything that he has created is his and he's put at our disposal for our enjoyment. In fact, 1 Chronicles 29 says that even more powerfully, yours, O Lord, is everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Both riches and honor come from you, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. God is our provider because he is the owner of all things. He is not lacking in his ability to provide. He owns everything. 
In fact, the Old Testament will speak in very imagery regarding the land and regarding animals because that was life and death for those in the Old Testament. It was all about the land, all about whether the land will provide fruit, all about whether there will be animals to eat and, and live off of or to tend the land itself. And so if God reminds the Old Testament uh, people of God, hey, I have everything. Everything is mine. I am not lacking in my ability and my capacity to provide for you, so don't worry. I got tomorrow and I got today. And I think for us, it's not just the issue of contentment that is dominant in our lives, but it's an issue of our confidence in the future. Some of you guys are graduating seniors and you're wondering, I don't have a job yet. What is God going to do? How am I going to make it? What's going to happen? And ultimately, I think in our ability and our response to this issue of giving and our possessions and our money, it really largely comes down to the issue of contentment and the issue in our confidence in God's ability to provide. If we trust that he will provide, then we will respond with open hands, right? But if we're fearful and we're doubting and we're not sure of tomorrow, then we close up and we hoard and we protect what we have, right? It's interesting, really, as you look at this concept, though, even more, if God is our provider because he's the owner of all things and what he's provided, we actually can't even lay claim to. I think for me, this is an item and a truth I, I picked up in college that was revolutionary as I thought about my money and my possessions. If God is our provider and he's the owner of all things, then everything that he's provided you is still his. Anything that you possess, it is not yours. You're kind of in a bit of a no man's land because a lot of the things you possess are kind of your parents. <laughs> so you're wondering how this is going to work out, right? Um, but as you transition out from being underneath your parents' household, everything that you'll earn from a job, every house and car that you'll have a title on, it may have your name on it, but it is not yours. Notice what First Chronicles 29 will continue on, speaking that God owns everything, and notice what happens uh, in the following verses. As we realize that you and I are but stewards and managers of God's resources. For all things come from you, and from your hand we have given you. The writer continues on saying, all things have come from you because you are the owner and the provider of all things, and so all of our gifts back to you have come out of actually your hand. We were but stewards who were passing the buck on in a sense. Getting these on, he says, all this abundance that we have provided to you, build you a house for your holy name. It is from your hand and all is yours. Fascinating section here. What is the guy in First Chronicles 29 saying? That God is the provider of all things because he owns all things. And so as you and I respond in giving back to the Lord, we are actually taking out of God's hands what is his and handing it right back to him. Everything that you receive in a job, everything that you take home because you felt you earned it, none of it is yours. Everything that you possess, everything that's been entrusted to you has come from the hand of God and it is all his and therefore it changes the way that you view it and it changes the way that you manage it. Just because the paycheck has your name on it does not mean that it's yours for you to do whatever you want with. Any paycheck that you come home with is because the Lord has granted you in his kindness and his grace a set of skills to do that job. And even in the paycheck that comes your way, those financial assets are still that which is his for which you are to put back before him and say, hey, Lord, what would you have me to do with this? Just because it has your name on it does not mean it's yours because he owns everything and he's entrusted it to you and I, but we are but managers, we are not possessors. So the question is, how does God call us to manage what he has provided for us that is still his? When you and I realize that what he's provided us is not ours and it's still his, it changes completely the way that we handle it.
Last week, I, I shared you guys a story about an intern who, for the sake of our morning, we'll continue to refer to as Danny, all right? I told you guys last week that he uh, had a giant crush on a girl uh, who actually was in a relationship uh, with somebody else. That relationship began to fail, and so he came, she came to Danny asking for his dating advice as to how she should handle this failing relationship. Well, he would tell her to break up, and then he would later marry her, all right? So it worked out great for him, all right? Uh, and so uh, Annie, though, if you guys uh, kind of knew the little thing, thing I loved about Danny, Danny, uh, as he grew grew uh, being on staff with us, there's one thing that he didn't totally understand and get, uh, that when he borrowed the church's possessions, they were not his, and he could not just forget them wherever he wanted to forget them, all right? So we would have projectors, and we would have laptops just go missing, all right? Uh, we often emailed the entire staff going, hey, have you seen this projector? Have you seen this laptop? No one would know. And eventually, we stopped emailing everybody week in, week out, because we knew it was just sitting in Danny's trunk or sitting in his apartment, and he had just totally forgotten, all right? He would end up loaning out multiple projectors at a time because he couldn't remember where the last one was that he had loaned and borrowed, all right? Uh, complete mess, all right? I had no idea where the things were that he was borrowing and where he had placed them. Uh, one of my favorite stories that I still give him a hard time about today is that he had borrowed a book from me one time, all right? Uh, I'm a bit obsessive compulsive uh, and uh, particular about some of my things, which is why I need to learn to let go of it a little bit easier, all right? Uh, and so I don't even like the pages of my books folded, all right? So Danny returned a book back to me, all right? And I was just curious as to what condition it would be in since he wasn't really great with other people's possessions, all right? So I started to thumb through the book and there was coffee like everywhere in the book. I, I, to this day, I still, I don't understand scientifically, how would it be possible for coffee to get on every single page, all right? It was just a, it was a nightmare, right? I mean, the, only, the only scenario, I, I, and I give him a hard time about this today, the only scenario I can imagine is that he put coffee in a blender, kept the lid off, turned it on, and then thumbed through my book from cover to cover, because it's the only way to explain it, right? I, I, I remember thinking, I asked him, Danny, what do you do with your own things, right? This wasn't even your book, and this is what happened. What do you do with your own stuff? You are such a mess that I love. I love you, but you're a mess, right? Um, you've got to learn how to handle possessions better, especially when they are not yours, you know? And Danny finally got it. Danny finally began to get things figured out. He eventually got married, so he needed to figure that out as well. But in uh, a job with us, he began to realize, hey, when possessions aren't mine, I have to handle them with a different kind of care than when I just think they're mine and mine alone. Ultimately, I want you guys to realize, though, that much of what Danny had to realize about stuff that he borrowed from the church, though, is what you have to realize about everything you possess, because everything that you possess has been borrowed and on loan from God. There's nothing that you possess, no, no shirt on your back, no car that you drive, no home that you will one day have, that God has not provided. There's nothing that you will have that is not from his hand and therefore not under his jurisdiction as to how he would lead you and guide you to manage it. It is not yours. It is all his. And so it completely changes the way that you and I see our stuff, and it completely changes the way that you and I handle our stuff. I think the issue, though, primarily as we look at this topic, is that you and I are stewards, and therefore for us to really hold it loosely, for us to manage it as we should, you and I, though, have to be confident that not just that he's provided today, but that he will provide tomorrow. And ultimately, remember, if he owns everything and he's provided today, then he will continue to provide tomorrow. He is good and he's faithful. And as we can walk in contentment, then what he provides will always be enough for us. He will always meet our needs. I think it's fascinating as you look at this topic, then uh, what do we do? How do we respond? Let me first kind of give you guys two basic ideas for this morning to kind of take home. I think the first thing that we do, if he's provided us all these things and they are all his, then we respond in thanksgiving, right? Lord, thank you. Whether it's little or whether it's much, thank you. Thank you for what you've provided because this is your good gift and I can respond in worship and in thanksgiving to that. Second thing, let me challenge you as you guys uh, have internships this summer or as you guys eventually graduate, let me challenge you to begin to build a principle in your life as to how you give. 
Uh, you guys have run across the passages that talk about giving cheerfully, giving sacrificially. Let me challenge you in a particular way, and that's that you give initially. All right, Not just cheerfully, not just sacrificially, but that you give initially. Notice uh, what is written in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Why does Proverbs call us to honor the Lord from the first of all of our produce? Well, obviously we don't have produce, right? So uh, why was that significant to a farmer, right? Uh, For the farmer, he would get the first fruits of the harvest that come in and God would call them to give out of the first fruits of the harvest. And so if they gave out of the first fruits of the harvest, what was required in order to do that? What was required was great faith that God would continue to provide in the rest of the harvest, let me challenge you guys, as you look at the topic of giving and as you look to try to figure out how do I honor the Lord with my finances, never give the leftovers. <laughs> never give whatever's just sitting there left over in the bank after you've finished off and satisfied all your desires because if you do, there will never be anything. <laughs> I'll challenge you, uh, a lot of, for Marcy and I, in the midst of a tax return, in the midst of bonuses and in the midst of um, our own personal salaries, we plan on giving. We plan on giving ahead of those gifts. We plan on purposes of what we're going to do with them so that we don't just gut ourselves on what we want and what we think we need. Let me challenge you in the midst of bonuses one day, in the midst of tax returns, maybe you are received this spring, or in the midst of a salary that one day you will have, plan initially to give out of the first of what God has provided. Because if you give last, you will give nothing. <laughs> I'll tell you that from experience. Give initially, and it's a great way to begin to build faith, because if you give initially, you are showing and demonstrating faith that you believe that God will continue to provide to meet the needs that you have. Giving initially is a way to walk in faith, showing that you are confident in his provision in the future. Last thing I want to do as we kind of wrap up is is say that I think it's not just that giving requires us to be content in the present in his provision, to be confident in the future for his provision, but lastly, to have a conviction about his eternal provision. I I want to throw you guys a few verses that I think can blow your mind and change even the way that you give. First, uh, this isn't mind-blowing, but don't hoard today, all right? First Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, I'll say this quickly and we'll get to, I think, what's new. Paul will say, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. It's been said, and you've probably heard it before, there are no, no U-Hauls behind hearses. Uh, you got nothing when you came in the world, and you get nothing when you leave the world. You cannot take your stuff with you, so why hoard today? Instead, you have an opportunity to invest in a stock that is on the rise and that when it matures, it will pay you a windfall that is unparalleled. And so invest toward a reward that's coming, a reward that actually is going to come in eternity. What I want you guys to see is that as you and I give sacrificially, cheerfully, and initially today, you and I will be rewarded in eternity. Notice what Paul will say back in verse uh, 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Again, Paul's using financial accounting terminology and he's going to say, hey, I'm thankful for the gift, but ultimately the reason why I'm really thankful is that you are going to get a reward and a profit to this gift. A day is going to come when you will be rewarded for what you've given. We find it even more clearly in a few other places. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verses 17 and 19, Paul is speaking to those who are rich and he says this to them. Uh, that as they do good works, as they share, as they're generous in good works, what, what they're ultimately doing is storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. Again, I think Paul is speaking and looking forward toward a day that's going to come when we are in the presence of God, when we're participating in the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is that as you and I give today, we're investing in a kingdom that is to come, and our investment will reap a profit that is unparalleled. Uh, Luke 14 says it all the more uh, explicitly. And notice what he says. Jesus says, but when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. 
Notice as he looks toward an eschatological day of a resurrection that is to come, he's going to say, as you give sacrificially, cheerfully, and initially now of your finances, you will be repaid of those in a day that is to come. Is he speaking literally? Is he speaking figuratively? I don't know in what exact extent as he's looking at the kingdom that is to come. But ultimately what you see and what I don't want you to miss is this. As you invest today and you give of your finances toward a kingdom that is maturing and coming about in the future, you are investing in something that will be repaid back to you tenfold. There will be no regret for whatever financial sacrifices you make today in light of a day that is coming in the future. Your finances and your pocketbook go hand in hand with your walk with Jesus Christ, and it goes hand in hand with a day that is coming. Finances are not extraneous to the walk with Jesus Christ. It's not extraneous to how you worship God. It seems awkward for us as a church to talk about it, but the scriptures are riddled with passages that are all about your finances because this is a critical topic in your lives. For a lot of you guys, as you look at the summer and as you look at life after college, I think we don't talk of this topic enough. So what I want to do with you guys last Sunday and this Sunday was give you guys a, a two-part series that kind of laid out a foundation of some basics on finances because you guys got to hear this. I didn't get much of this until I graduated college and was looking at some premarital counseling materials and it was eye-opening then and I want you guys to have your eyes open now. Your walk with Jesus Christ and your pocketbook, they go hand in hand. And all kinds of abuses that you guys have seen uh, on TV so cause us to put up a wall of defense to that. And yet, really, you and I worship with our money. Uh, we serve the community with our money. We, we serve our families with our money. Money is just an asset that is used in worship as an asset to see worship established where it does not exist in missions. And it is an asset even as you worship and it shows your appreciation and adoration of God himself. And that as you and I walk in contentment today with what he's provided, as you and I are confident in what he will provide for us tomorrow, and as we're convicted as to what he will provide for us in eternity, you and I respond in an attitude and a spirit of giving uh, that is not possible apart from that contentment, that confidence, and that conviction. Ultimately, as it comes back to it, really the key of all this, though, is this. It all is about Jesus Christ. It's all about worship. Uh, I ran across a quote this week. Marcy found that says this, Gaze upon Christ long enough, and you'll become more of a giver. Give long enough, and you'll become more like Christ. Giving is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about a desire to know him and to become like him. And it is not irrelevant to knowing him and to walking with him. They go hand in hand. So what I want to do this morning is, is end with an opportunity for you guys just to respond uh, and reflect and, re- and meditate a little bit on some of the things we've talked about this morning. Ultimately, I think this whole topic goes again to what you believe about Jesus Christ. Are you content with what he's provided you? Are you confident that he'll provide for you in the future? And do you, are you confident and convicted that he'll reward you in the future? Our discontentment, our lack of confidence is all about and centered on Him. And as we give, it is all about our contentment in Him. It's all about our confidence in Him as an extravagant, rich provider. So I want you guys to have a morning or a time just this morning just to reflect in your heart uh, on these truths and reflect on your own thankfulness to the Lord for all that He's given you. Father God, we give you great thanks. Uh, Your riches, your gifts are extravagant. Uh, Father, we just give you great thanks for all that you provided in our lives. Lord, you are the owner of all things. Father, I pray you'd allow us to see all that you've put in our lives. Lord, you give us a spirit of thanksgiving towards those things. And I pray even more, Lord, in the midst of the things you've put in our lives now and the things that you will bring in our lives in the future. Lord, I pray that you'd allow us to have hands that that would hold things loosely hands and a heart that would put those things before you and say, Lord, what would you have us to do with what you have provided us? 
How could we honor you with these things, Lord? And I pray that we would live not for ourselves and not for a, a culture that is so discontent with all that there is and always wanting something more, Lord, but I pray that we could find contentment with what you have provided. We define contentment in your presence that you are enough for us, enough for our hearts, enough for our hopes, enough for our dreams. Father, I pray that we would find a joy in your presence and a delight as we would walk with you and we'd serve you, Lord. I pray just for us, particularly this week, uh, may you challenge us, may you convict us to see the things in our lives that you would have us to hand back over to you. Uh, The areas in our lives that we've guarded and said, no, this is mine. Uh, This is something that I cannot lend out. This is something I cannot share, Lord. I pray that you would challenge that in our lives. And that we'd become people with open doors, open seats, open pocketbooks. And then the entirety of all that you've given us, we would hand back to you and say, Lord, what would you have, Lord? Father, we thank you and we praise you and we worship you, Lord. And in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. You guys, thanks for being here this morning. Uh, we will see you guys at Rosa's. And if you've memorized Philippians, come grab me, all right? Or at least talk to me. All right, see you guys. Y'all have a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>